All right. So we had Easter, and traditionally Easter is a big right, holiday, resurrection Sunday, and uh, that kind of stuff. And then there's usually the Sunday after. And so on Easter, traditionally in church circles, you understand that you are to have the highest attendance of the year. The Sunday after Easter is traditionally the lowest attendance of the year. It's like everybody got their Jesus, you know, fix, and then they go home. Okay, and uh, and I don't know how that all works. I just know that it works that way. And so, uh, but one of the things that we realize is that uh, there wasn't just a big explosion, and then the church said, "Good, that was fun. Now we will uh, just go back to what we were doing." The church went on mission. The church went on mission very early. I want to show you in Acts. You know this, um, but after preached, Peter preached a sermon. Um, there were a bunch of people saved, uh, close to 3,000. And it says about the church in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Uh, fellowship, they're just hanging out together, talking about this. It was on their, it was their discussion. It was their dialogue. What had happened? They were rehearsing the stories. They were rehearsing what they knew. They remember when they had run into Jesus or who their family members had been and they were starting to put all the pieces together. And to the breaking of bread into prayer. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now I left out verses 43 and 45, not because they're important. I just didn't have enough room on the screen, right, to put it up there. But 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. A lot of people say, oh, this is why communism should be the, or socialism should be the, the, the mandate of the church. Just dump all your stuff and then we'll all hang out together. Pause on that for a second. You have to understand the context of this and what was going on. Jesus died on the cross three days later. Jesus rose from again. Forty days later, Jesus... Um, ascended into heaven, right? In that month and a half period, Jerusalem was buzzing, right? Remember, out of the tombs, there were 500 people that rose from the dead and were speaking about Jesus' resurrection. And so there was a stir going on. And people had come from all over the world in pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They had intended on staying for Passover, right? Remember, they were coming for Passover. There was no Good Friday, no Resurrection Sunday. They were coming for Passover. And so when they came and all this stuff happening, it was like they got caught in the center of a hurricane. And suddenly they were in the midst of some of the most momentous events that ever took place in the earth. And some of the most stupendous things that ever took place in the earth. And so they're like, wow, we've got to keep talking about this. Well, the problem is, they didn't bring a month's supply of money. They didn't bring a month's supply of food. They didn't have Motel 6s. We'll leave the light on. You know, they didn't have stuff like that uh, in Jerusalem. And so suddenly people who had planned uh, maybe a week in Jerusalem with two months traveling time are suddenly in Jerusalem for a month and a half. And they are now without anything. They don't have money anymore. They have food. So there's an instant rush to help facilitate 
the early church. So the early church went on mission right away. What was right in front of them? There were a whole bunch of people that wanted to stay. There were a whole bunch of people that wanted to be disciples. Some people didn't even plan on going back to their country. And so instantly the church had to mobilize. And they mobilized by uh, selling stuff. They mobilized by taking care of people. They mobilized by feeding people. And uh, this is how uh, they got started early. And I want to suggest that um, there was a real immediate need for all this because they were all there. And so the church instantly developed a bunch of different roles. I, I just flashed these up here, and there's more roles. I just put these are a bunch that came to my mind, and you'll recognize the list instantly. I could have added uh, deacons and deaconesses and a number of other things. But in the church, very quickly, you find out that all of a sudden there's apostles, all of a sudden there's prophets, right? You've got Philip and Agabus and like that. You've got teachers. You've got evangelists. Philip was an evangelist. You've got givers. Barnabas was one of the first ones who instigated this giving. And you know the story of what happened. A couple of people, Ananias and Sapphira, tried to copy that pattern but not really do it. And uh, they ended up dead. And so there was an instant fear on the church uh, to run it with integrity. And there was that sort of deal. That came over giving. All right. uh, there were table waiters. Very exalted, glorious job. But think about this. When you've got 3,000 people waiting on tables, that's a big deal, right? We've done step-by-step step and those kind of things here. And that's, uh, you know, we've run 500, 600 through, and we think, boy, that's a big deal. Make that 3,000, right? And uh, Stephen was one of the table waiters. And Stephen is one of the, the people that is held in highest esteem in all the New Testament. The first martyr of the church, right? And uh, as we understand it. Uh, but he started as a table waiter. But it says as he did his job for what God called him to do, he was filled with wisdom and knowledge. And uh, God can use table waiters. Isn't that encouraging? Right? That doesn't sound like a big thing in our culture. You say, well, I don't do anything big in our culture. You don't need to. You just need to do what God's asked you to do. Can you imagine Stephen going, I want to do something great for the Lord. I want to do something great for the church. Good. Hey, we prayed about it. And you seven get to be table waiters. Really? That's it? You know, that's like putting out the signs. That's like, seriously, working with kindergarten kids? I mean, that's the great thing I'm going to do for the kingdom? Well, it wasn't the only thing he did for the kingdom. It was just his launch point. Do not despise the day of small things when God uses a small thing for your launch point. We all want great things to do for God. Um, I found you've got to be willing to do the small things for God, the faithful things for God. Jesus says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're not faithful in little, then he'll probably never hand you much. And so what is it before you that he's given you to do? In your neighborhood, in your home, at your work, in your school, those kind of things, what has he placed in front of you? Be faithful with those things. Because as you're faithful with those things, it will grow into greater things. My start into ministry was scrubbing pots. Church pots. Church ugly, gross pots that nobody ever washed or touched. Well, they washed them, but that's how I got started. Never thought that was an entrance to ministry. And if I would have known that, I would have never scrubbed those pots. I did not want to be a leader anymore and I was backing my way out the door and back my way right back into ministry because I didn't know that you got into ministry, you led by serving. And 
uh, just there's all kinds of lessons in here in terms of just this list here. But there were others. There were people who were the prayers, right? They, the apostles set themselves aside for prayer and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, elders were very quickly established as as the church developed and started springboard, particularly when it started to go, in the next slide you'll see, when it started to go to other places, all of a sudden you find elders popping up all over the place. These were not guys who had 16 to 20 years of seminary training. These were not guys who uh, thought probably a couple months before that they would be elders. Paul rolled into town. People were saved. A church was formed. Paul made his best guess at those who were the most stable and made them into elders. So they grew into the role, right? And then there were associates. If you track with Paul, you, you would remember these names, right? You've got Luke, you've got Silas, you've got Timothy, you've got Demas, you've got... There's a whole bunch of people that became associates that went along and learned about ministry as they went with the people. Very quickly, as the church went on mission then, there were a number of different locations. Look at these. I, I, just, I don't know if I got them all accurate, but I just pulled them from my mind, um, how the church spread. Right from Jerusalem, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Antioch. From Antioch, the elders get together. There they are praying. And the Lord says, set a bar for me. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas get launched out. They probably had to take two other guys and fill them into the roles that Paul and Barnabas held. But there was a, a church at Antioch that was vibrant. It says that it was at Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Right? And so uh, the church launched from there. And then from there, Paul launched out and went into Antioch, Poseidon, which was up in the Galatia area, and Iconium, Lystra, Derby. You know a lot of those stories that come out of the book of Acts. Ephesus, these are names that are very familiar to us because they are uh, titles to letters of churches that Paul wrote to. Ephesus, Philippi, right? Paul got beaten up in Philippi. Uh, Berea, Corinth, um, Colossae, Rome. I left Thessalonica out. Um, I don't know how I did that, right? But we've been studying Thessalonica, probably why. I blanked on it. But quickly the church spread. And so when you go back to these roles, think about how fast in a short period of time, oops, think about how fast these roles developed, right? These roles had to develop all over the country as these churches were being planted. So the church on mission not only quickly spread, but it quickly developed uh, specialized roles within the church um, that it was doing. And so as the church went on mission, there, then what you find with these churches is they started supporting other works. Right? You read that and all of a sudden there's other works that they start supporting. There's other missions start supporting. And likewise, at Northview, as you come, and especially if you're new, what you want to realize is that this is a moving target. There's a lot of stuff in progress already. If you look up on here, you can find uh, there's ministries to the poor up here. There's ministries to the widow and orphan up here. There's justice ministries up here. There's uh, helps ministries up here. There's educational ministries up here. Uh, You can just look and see... uh, like the Burks, for example, have translated the New Testament in the Dongliat language, right? We, we are part of a group that actually, another group that has sent the Bible out in a language that never existed before. I have that New Testament sitting on my desk. It's, it's just very cool. So uh, as we are talking about being on mission, 
We are not only on mission. We once were a church plant. We are no longer a church plant. But we once were a church plant. We are on on mission in this community, but we are also on mission all over the world. All right? If you look, you'll recognize a number of those people, and you'll recognize uh, ones that have been here before. When we... um, if you haven't been, you need to go out through that door right by the sound booth there and look at the missions wall because on that whole wall is uh, our missions wall. And you can see all those places where people are and they tell you their ministry, they tell you what they're doing. You may have uh, seen that before, but if you've ever stopped to look at it, one of the coolest things during the week here is to watch people stop and look at that wall and read it and, and check it out and to see who... We are who it is that we support. And that wall out there pulls out all these different uh, missions that we are plugged into, that we are supporting. So when you give, you aren't just giving to Northview. You're giving around the world to vital ministries that are helping. And, and this morning, if you go to that wall and you look, one of the faces that's going to pop out are Mike and Aaron Pentengo. And they are missionaries to the Honduras. And they are uh, friends that we have um, enjoyed. They've been here several times before. They have told us about their ministry. The Honduras, what you have to realize, it is the murder capital of the world. There are more murders per capita in the Honduras than anywhere else. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, on the planet. Okay, so we're not talking Cake Street here. We're not talking about, hey, it's palm trees and sand. and Yeah, we're suffering for Jesus. This is, Mike, I hope we'll give a couple stories, but uh, this is a place that is on the active front of trying to turn the course of evil within a culture. And so this morning, I, they're here, and they're going to share with us, and I'd like to bring them up. Would you give them a warm Northview welcome? Mike and Aaron, come on up. Good morning. I'm Erin Pettengill. This is my husband, Mike, and my daughter, Madison. We dropped off into college um, last semester, so she's in her second semester of college. But she came with us, and we broke ground in Honduras seven years ago. So it's cool to hear about stories, and it's, I think it's cooler to see pictures, to actually see what's going on down there, and to know that you guys are an integral part of that. Um, John Piper is very clear on saying that there's three types of Christians. You're either an obedient goer, an obedient sender, or disobedient. So I'd like to say that you guys are definitely obedient senders, and I know that probably some of you have been on mission trips around the world. So um, just to highlight some of the stuff that we have going on, um, you saw that we have a high school. It's now been in session for two years. Um, Education ends at sixth grade. So we saw that there was a serious need for education, so we opened up our high school. Um, We have our street children's ministry. Uh, We eventually hope to have a permanent home for boys that live on the street, but right now they come in every day. They get tutored. They get discipled. um, They get fed. And um, so eventually we hope to have a permanent facility where they can come and live. Um, We also have, as you saw, some pictures of our single mom's home, the average first-time pregnancy in Honduras is 15. So you have a lot of teenagers having babies. Um, so they don't really have the life skills that they need. So we provide them that opportunity. We do discipleship. We get them back into school or some sort of trade school so they can care for their families. And then we graduate them out, and they 
go live um, on their own. The seminary didn't look like much. It was kind of a cement slab. That's actually already dated, that picture. Um, We have all of the walls up. We just need to finish our roof. But we didn't let that stop us. So we actually started our first seminary class about two weeks ago at this point. So that's pretty awesome. Um, There's not really a system for teaching um, pastors. So we have that opportunity, and we obviously teach them in Spanish. That's the language in Honduras. Um, And let's see. So that medical clinic, that picture also is dated. The first one is the clinic that that I started. Um, We started out doing mobile clinics, literally boxes of meds and supplies in the back of my pickup truck, and we would drive around villages and open that up and see people. And then about two years ago, we had a permanent clinic finished, and we have seen almost 8,000 patients in that time frame. Usually we have a lot more patients than we can see. Uh, The medical care is pretty poor in Honduras. So um, after our one-year anniversary when we invited the community to come to the clinic, one of the ladies that came, she asked me if she could speak, and I always get a little bit nervous Mike, what is she going to say? Anyways, so I thought perhaps she's going to say we've got great medicine, we have good doctors, whatever. And she came and she said, I come to this clinic because Jesus is here. And then she sat down. And I thought that was awesome because I love that we give great medicine and we give great medical care. But reality is, is that's not why we're there. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, So we have a second medical clinic that we're hoping to have open by the end of this year. It's on the other side of town where those dorm facilities were. It's kind of hard to see the dorms, but there's a ginormous mango tree in the front of it, and we couldn't cut that down. So um, it's hard to see the dorms, but we can host up to 40 short-term missionaries that come. So we have about 12 to 15 teams that come and see us every year during the summertime. So that's pretty fun. Um, And then another really cool opportunity we have is because we have a medical facility and we have established areas in villages around the community, um, we hold medical brigades. So um, we've had more than 700 short-term missionaries that come, and we probably average two or three medical brigades a year. So stuff is really cool, and buildings are really awesome, but the reality is, is that we're there for people. So I'm going to tell you a really quick story about one of the lives that we've been privileged to touch. Um, one of the uh, short-term trips that we brought down was um, a medical brigade, and in that we had a optometrist. Now, um, as I said, the medical care is fairly poor, and most people, if they need to see an eye doctor, they're They're just not going to have that opportunity. So needless to say, I had hundreds and hundreds of people that were coming every day to see him, but he was one guy and could only see about 35 or 40 people a day. Well, at the end of the first day, we had about two hours before the clinic was going to be closed, and a mom came up to me with her four children. She didn't know me, but she must have known me somehow because she looked at me with big eyes and tearful eyes and said, please, can my son be seen? So it doesn't take much to say okay. So I said okay. And so um, her five-year-old was seen by our eye doc, and um, he came out to me after he did his evaluation, and he said, 
His name is Justin, this little boy. He's about five. He said, this little boy is basically blind. And I said, how can he be blind? He's running around. He's doing his thing. And he said, well, basically he can see fuzz, color, and light. That's about all that he can see. I said, what are we going to do for this little boy? And we had received some glasses from the Lions Club. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lions Club, if you've ever had any association with the Lions Club, but please never, ever, ever throw your glasses away if you have glasses. A lot of places, even Walmart has a place to drop off your glasses. Because I had all of these hundreds of glasses that had been donated before, but I don't know anything about eyes. I'm just going to be honest. But here I have them for this optometrist. And so he's searching through all of these boxes. And the best way I can describe this pair of glasses is probably a women's 1970s, like, ginormous glasses about this big, okay? And he said, well, I think these will work. So we brought Justin over, and we put these glasses on this little guy's head. He kind of looked like a little bobblehead because his glasses were bigger than his face. But the second we put them on his eyes... He had a grin from ear to ear that would not stop from the time that he was there until he left. And my friend who was there who was with me, she speaks Spanish. She said, Justin, Justin, how many fingers do I have up? And he jumps up and down. He says, you have three. You have three. He was so excited because the first time in his life he could actually see. So that was a pretty awesome experience and just a really small example of some of the lives that we've been able to touch and within that, gosh, we saw that week alone, we saw almost 600 patients. And as I said, we saw about 35 or 40 patients just for the IDOC alone. So the need is overwhelming. The need is great. And we're just there to make a little tiny dent in all of those needs. But as I said, we're the obedient goers, and you guys are our obedient senders. So I really want to thank you guys for that. You definitely have been a part of the ministry. This is Team Honduras, and you guys are part of Team Honduras. It's not just us and the other long-term missionaries that are down there. There's about 14 of us adults, and we have like 16 children. So we're a very populous group. And um, so if you don't bring them in, you, you know, you grow them, right? So our team is growing. Um, we also have a team we're going to be expanding the capital city of Tegucigalpa is in the southern portion of Honduras. And we have two families that will be coming to join us. And they will be hanging out in Tegucigalpa. And they're going to be starting a brand new ministry there. So one of the families is in language school right now, learning to speak Spanish. And then they're going to be starting immediately. And they're going to be involved in church planting. Because our goal is, I mean, we have the first Presbyterian church in Honduras in Little La Ceiba. And we want to see reformed churches that are biblical-based churches um, in all across Honduras. So that's our goal and our desire is to just keep going. And I keep telling Mike, I said, God is leading the way and we're just desperately running behind to keep up. Because seven years ago when we landed in country, it was just us. My daughter, my husband, and me, we had no idea where we were staying all that arrived with us of our 12 bags was our guitar and uh, another duffel bag, and neither of us play guitar, so that wasn't all that helpful. But there we were, and God said, okay, get ready because I've got stuff for you. So we've seen a whole lot go on in that time frame, and it's been amazing to just be a part of it. So I would love to give you guys an opportunity to pray for us because if the 
if the prayers aren't prayer warriors aren't out there doing their thing, we live in a country of spiritual warfare. And if you don't believe in that kind of thing, come chat with us. We have lots of stories to share. It's alive and well. So we need your prayers to cover us. So right outside, there's a little table, and it has these packets, and it has our prayer letters in there, and you can get them via email so we won't clutter your inbox. And um, you can read about what we're doing and how to purposely pray for us in our ministry. So I have like a minute if anybody has any questions. Because I really talk a lot. Does anybody have any questions that they would like to ask? And if not, we'll be out in the foyer afterwards that you can come find us. By the way, Mike does talk. He does know how to speak. They decided to trade off services with each other this morning. So... That's good. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward. We're going to do communion uh, together. And what I want up on the, the screen again is the uh, mission slide. Can we put that up there, Cam? Thank you so much. I want you to think about this morning as uh, we come to communion. You could easily um, look and um, say, well, this isn't very much. There's not a lot going on. Well, there's a lot going on in our church right now that's really good. There's a lot of movement right now, whether you sense it or feel it or not. And there's a lot going on uh, in the missions and the ministries that, that we support. I want to encourage you uh, after service, uh, and you go out the double doors, Mike and Aaron will be out there. And you can uh, ask them questions. They've got um, questions uh, and stories that they can tell you about the Honduras. And I think you'll, you'll be quite startled at the uh, intensity of some of the stuff that they have to deal with because it's a pretty uh, desperate situation that they're actually in that they are trying to minister to. So as you think about that, but the thought for this morning was off, off of this, the church on mission. We are not alone and our missionaries are not alone. We're connected. By the way, you can get connected up with email. You can write back and forth. Mike and Aaron will actually talk to you. They'll send you emails and, and be in touch with you. Uh, you can do that for pretty much anybody else on this list. Maybe you've never thought about that, but you ever thought what it would be like to email a missionary and just encourage them, say, hey, I'm Mike, I'm at Northview, you know, Steve and stuff, and I became aware of you in a service, and I just want to tell you what a cool thing you're doing. And I just wanted to tell you, you don't know me, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. You have no idea how powerful that is for somebody on the field to get something like that. And it's not like the days where you would write a letter and 18 months later it would get there, right? We got uh, email now. You've got uh, all the Facebook and that kind of stuff that uh, makes that stuff pretty instantaneous. So think about that. Look at that list. Does anybody capture your mind? And what I want to say this morning is that we are in communion with all these people you see on the board. That as we're doing our thing this Sunday morning, as we work to be obedient to Jesus during our week, they're doing the same thing where God has planted them. As Aaron said, I think, really well, there are the senders and there are the goers. right? And these people have gone. We are sending and we are in communion with them. We have a relationship with them, a, 
across the miles, across the time zones, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm discipling a, a young couple now that's going to get married. They're in Australia, and it's 17 hours difference. We're trying to figure out how to FaceTime together because it's odd to put the times together, right? We are on mission. We are called to be obedient to lead. And as we go and, and kind of kick through here 214, I don't know about you, but it's caught me how fast 214 is already rolling, right? We're almost done with April already. And, uh, but it is a year that significant things can happen and significant things can happen in our church and with these teams that we support. Jesus used this symbol, communion, to hold us all together. And he said, when you do this, do this in memory of me. In other words, remember who I was? Remember what I said? Remember what I called you to? Remember how I saved you? Remember you can't get snatched out of my hand? Stand in faith. Remember, stay firm, even if things get scary. And Jesus said, yeah, it can get tough. But remember, I went through tough before you. And I will take you through tough. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, do this in memory of me. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. You know, we had Easter. A lot of people come watching on Easter. There weren't a lot of people at the cross. Jesus is looking for people of the cross. He said, drink this in memory of me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Mike and Aaron, and thank you for a snapshot, a picture of their ministry and what you've called them to, what they've been able to do through your grace and people who give generously for support. Lord, uh, there are never an end to needs in that kind of situation for buildings, for materials, for people. And Lord, we seek you for Mike and Aaron that you would uh, sovereignly and supernaturally provide for them and what you've called them to do. And we pray, Lord, for your grace in turning the tide in a culture that is filled with a spirit of murder. Lord, may you replace that with a spirit of life. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen.